2 Corinthians chapters 11 verse 1 to 12 verse 13. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you have accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to those super-apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. But why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what, am I, what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false, false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. <coughs> to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are there Hebrews? So am I. Are there Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of, offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, 
danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the deadly pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the, king, the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool, you forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these superior apostles, to super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, except that I did not, that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Thanks, Annie. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please work through it in our hearts to help us trust in Jesus and grow to be more like him. We ask this in his name. Amen. I want you to imagine that you are going to apply for your dream job. Your dream job. This really great company that you want to work for, they have asked you to put in your resume and you really want this job. 
Now, what do you emphasise in your resume? What is it that you put up front? What do you highlight to impress them? Is it your achievements? Your hard work, how busy you are, your wealth of experience, the good results that you've achieved? Uh, Is it your greatest successes, the things that you're most proud of in your life, whatever they were? Is it your perseverance, that despite sickness and trouble and suffering, you're still going, you keep going even when things get tough? Is it your creativity, your skills, your care for others? What is it you highlight? What do you think is most impressive about you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to call out the answer, uh, but, uh, but what is it that you boast about on your resume? But let me ask you, would you ever put in a resume that focused on your weaknesses? Uh, I mean a, a resume that lists out all your greatest failures one by one. That, that was honest about how much you've struggled with your health, with difficult relationships and all the times that you've fallen short. Would you put in that resume? No way, right? I don't think I'd even want to read that resume for myself, let alone put it into a company where I want a job. And yet, here in these chapters of 2 Corinthians, that's almost exactly what Paul does. Remember, Paul's been writing 2 Corinthians because his relationship with the Corinthian church is hard. Their relationship is strained. They're disappointed with Paul. It seems like he's let them down. And there are other teachers who are trying to lead them away from Paul and away from the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to them to call them to stick with the gospel and to stick with their partnership with him. But these other teachers, they seem pretty impressive. Why should the Corinthians listen to Paul and not to these impressive guys? Well, Paul confronts that head on in these chapters. You know, he's already said all sorts of things to try and persuade the Corinthians. You might remember some of them. He's told them how God has made us sufficient to be part of Jesus' victory parade, sharing the gospel everywhere. He's spoken about how God works through the simple proclamation of the gospel and through our weaknesses as jars of clay. He's rejoiced in their godly grief that led to repentance. And now he has one last strategy up his sleeve. He is going to beat these other teachers at their own game. He is going to boast about himself. He's going to give the Corinthians his resume. Why they should listen to him and not to these others. And yet I got to say, this is going to be the strangest resume we've ever read. Paul doesn't boast about his successes. He doesn't boast about how amazing he is. He doesn't brag about his strengths. He wants us to see that as people who trust in Jesus, our boasting is upside down. If we're boasting in our successes, in our strengths, in our achievements, we have got it all wrong. Instead, as God's people, we should boast in our weaknesses and in our suffering because it's in them that we experience God's grace and his power. And this changes how we boast, but it's also good news for us. See, it's good news for any of us 
who struggle. Good news for anyone who feels their weaknesses. Anyone who wonders whether God could ever use them. Paul reminds us that our weaknesses aren't problems for God. In fact, it's in our weaknesses that we experience God's grace and power at work in us. So let's dive in. First, Paul wants us to see that this boasting he's doing, he is boasting out of love. Paul's going to play the, teach, the other teachers at their own game, the boasting comparison game. But he's not real happy about it. He wants the Corinthians to see from the beginning that this is foolishness. So why does he do it? Let's read from verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, there is a kind of jealousy that is right and good. It's right for a husband to be jealous if his wife is breaking her wedding vows. In the Old Testament, God says that he's jealous for his people like that. He rescued them. They promised to be his. He is jealous for them. And Paul, he is jealous for the Corinthians like that. He has betrothed them to Christ. They have promised themselves to Jesus. Paul Paul is like the proud father of the bride who is walking his daughter down the aisle to be married, presenting her to her husband. But the Corinthians' eyes, they're wandering on the way down the aisle. They're being led astray. Deceived like Eve was in the garden. They're putting up with false teachers. Look in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Their problem is what they put up with. These other teachers come along who preach a different gospel, another Jesus, a different spirit, and the Corinthians are okay with it. No worries, sounds good. Probably because these other teachers seem impressive, they're good speakers, they're successful, they tick all the right boxes, except they're not teaching the truth. You know, this is a danger for us too. What false teaching are we willing to put up with because the teachers seem successful? Because they're on TV or the radio? Because they have huge churches? Because they have great music and showy lights and sell heaps of books? But they're preaching a different gospel. We must not put up with it. We can't accept it. We need to keep testing everything against God's word and the gospel. And if it doesn't line up, reject it. This is why Paul's going to play the boasting game. Because he loves the Corinthians. He's jealous for them. And he wants them to know that he is not inferior in the slightest. Verse 5. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. 
It's amazing to me how sarcastic Paul is in this passage. When he says super apostles, you can just imagine the quote marks, can't you? In fact, these guys are false teachers. And while they might be great speakers, it is Paul who is the one who knows and speaks the truth of the gospel. Paul wants to expose these false teachers for who they really are, which explains why he's not willing to take Corinthian money. That seems to be a huge bugbear for the Corinthians. Verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? Paul accepted the support of the Macedonian churches, but he refused to let the Corinthians pay him when he preached them the gospel. Why? Well, probably because he wanted them to see that here the gospel is good news, is a free offer, not a service you pay for or something you buy. But he also wanted to expose the false teachers for who they really were. Verse 11. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boast admission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul does not pull his punches here. These other teachers aren't really super apostles. They don't belong in the Marvel universe. They are false apostles. They are like thieves who dress up as plumbers to get into your house. These guys are dressed up like true gospel teachers, but they are servants of Satan. They aren't righteous at all. They're out to get the Corinthians. And we need to just hear the warning here. Often evil isn't obvious. Often it looks good. Often sin sounds sweet. False teaching sounds just appealing enough. That's how Satan has always worked. But in the end it leads to destruction. So keep testing everything you hear against God's word. These false teachers, they've been using and abusing the Corinthians and the Corinthians are putting up with it and it's driving Paul crazy. In fact, it drives him to boast. Out of love, he's going to play these guys their own game. Verse 20. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Paul's going to boast. They've driven him to it, but his boasting won't be what they expect. Paul starts by boasting in his suffering service. At first, he addresses the boasts head on. They have been boasting in their Jewish pedigree. So can Paul. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. But it's not just about Jewish pedigree. It's about serving Jesus. And in that regard, Paul leaves them in the dust. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. 
with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Paul's speaking like a madman. He's playing their game. Paul's not advocating comparison here. Remember just last week, in chapter 10, he said that these other teachers, when they compare themselves to one another, they show that they are without understanding. Because it's God who makes us sufficient to serve him. God works in our weaknesses to show his power. And so that's actually what Paul boasts about. Now we'd expect here Paul to say something like, I have written more letters. I have planted more churches. I've had more speaking engagements. I've reached more people with the gospel. I've trained more evangelists. I'm a better servant of Christ because my ministry is more successful. And we're ready for that, but that's not what Paul does. He doesn't talk about his successes. He talks about his suffering. He's worked harder. He's been imprisoned, beaten, often near death. And if that's not enough, just look at verse 24. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure Paul's faced it all he's suffered from outsiders and he's suffered from insiders he's faced persecution he's faced danger from travel and exposure he's been adrift at sea overnight in terms of suffering servers Paul is second to none Maybe second to one. Because this isn't failure. This is following Jesus, our suffering king. Jesus is the one who was rejected, who faced danger, who suffered and died. Jesus is the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one who says that if we follow him, we should expect the same treatment. The suffering of Paul's ministry reflects the saviour that he follows and proclaims. And this is not just physical suffering. Paul also faces anxiety for God's people. Verse 28. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. See, not all anxiety is sin. Paul is anxious for God's people because he loves them. He feels deeply what happens to them. If they are weak and suffering, he feels it. If they get into sin, he gets angry. That's Paul's pastor's heart. He feels for them. He loves them. He tops it off with one more example of his suffering service. Verse 30. If I must boast, I'll boast of things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. 
Now, in ancient Rome, the uh, highest military honour was given to the person who was the first to scale the wall of a city that they were attacking. I think the equivalent to our Victoria Cross. But Paul, he's going the opposite direction. He wasn't scaling the wall. He's being led out of a window down the wall like a basket full of rubbish, slinking out to avoid arrest. Paul says, you want to see my resume? Here it is. Look at my suffering. See my hard work, my persecution, my sleepless nights, my anxiety for God's people. See all the times I've been punished for proclaiming Jesus and shamed. See my most embarrassing moments as I slunk away from a city in shame to avoid arrest. That's my resume. You want me to boast? Fine, I'll boast in my weakness because it's there that you see my suffering service that reflects our suffering servant, King. If we're going to follow Jesus, we can't expect anything different than this. We can't expect to be treated better than he was. We can't expect the glory of the resurrection without the suffering of the cross. That's what the Christian life looks like. It might look like mocking and rejection from those who are closest to you. It might look like anxiety and worry for those who you love. It might look like sleepless nights, hard work, missing out on some of the good things that other people enjoy. But it's there that we actually reflect our suffering servant king. This should also make us stop and think again about how we measure success. How do we decide who it is that we're going to follow and who it is that we're going to listen to? Are we looking to outward success, success, impressive speakers, successful ministries, big churches? Or are we looking for leaders who genuinely love God's people? Who teach the truth no matter what it costs? Who love us enough to say hard things to us when we need to hear it, even when it's costly to them? Who are willing to work late and to work hard to teach God's word to us? Leaders who are willing, suffering servants who faithfully teach the truth because they love Jesus and love his people. Which brings us nicely to Paul's ultimate point. Perhaps his ultimate point of 2 Corinthians itself. Paul ends this section by boasting in powerful weakness. Paul, he switches to talking about visions and supernatural experiences. Look in chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. You know, it's likely that these other teachers, they were bragging about their visions and revelations. But Paul trumps them. Fourteen years ago, he was caught up into heaven and heard things he can't repeat. 
Now he's so hesitant in boasting about this, even in foolishness, that he talks about himself in the third person. I know a man. But I think we see in the next few verses, it's actually Paul. He doesn't want to boast about this because these visions, they aren't the important thing. Verse 5. On behalf of this man, I'll boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul could brag about this, he'd be telling the truth, but he doesn't because he doesn't want people to measure him and his ministry by this. He wants people to measure him by how they see him live and by the good news of Jesus that he proclaims. See, impressive visions and spiritual experiences are not proof that someone is worth listening to. They are not guarantees that someone is preaching the gospel. We need to look closely at whether they live with godly character that reflects Jesus and listen closely to whether they preach what is true. That's why Paul doesn't want to boast about these visions, even though he could. But it does lead us to what Paul really wants to boast about, his weakness. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul's amazing visions, they could have led him to be impressed with himself. But God in his grace and kindness sends Paul a thorn in the flesh. Paul says this is a messenger of Satan sent to harass him, to keep him from getting a big head. Notice a few things about this. Like in Job, Satan can only act here within the bounds that God sets. But God uses this thing, intended by Satan for evil, to grow Paul to be more and more like Jesus and stop him from becoming proud. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what this thorn was. Was it persecution, sickness, temptation, conflict, relationship breakdown, some kind of permanent injury or disability? We don't know. And it looks like we don't need to know. But we do know that God sent this to Paul for his good. It's not because Paul doesn't have enough faith. It's not because he needs to name and claim his healing. Paul's not being punished for his sin. God is working for his good. This is a hard truth. But God will use difficult and trying things in our lives to grow us to be more like Jesus. Sometimes he will even give us these things to grow us to be more like Jesus. It's a hard thing. But God is like a loving father who knows what we need better than we do. Like a loving dad might cause his kids the pain of a vaccine needle. Our loving father will give us what we really need, even if sometimes it's painful for us. But our heavenly father, he doesn't leave us to our own devices in this. He shows his grace to us and shows his power in us. Paul, he doesn't much like his thorn and you can't really blame him. He pleads with God to take it away. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Lord doesn't take away Paul's thorn, but he does meet him in his weakness and supply all that he needs. The Lord's grace, that's his undeserved kindness, not only in willingly dying for our sins so that we can have forgiveness through faith in him as a gift, not only for our glorious forever with him, God's grace is his kindness to us in the present. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our pain right now, he is with us, he loves us, and he is a gentle and loving father to us. See, grace isn't just the start of the Christian life. It's not just how we get in to be God's people. It's how we live as God's people too. And the kindness of the Lord Jesus is sufficient for us in our weakness because his power is made perfect in weakness. This makes sense, right? It's at the cross, the moment of Jesus' greatest seeming weakness that he pays for sin and conquers sin and death forever. And it's in our weaknesses in our shortcomings, in our failures, in our limitations, in our frailness, in our brokenness, in our half-mumbled and garbled attempts to share the gospel, in our struggling, not always successful attempts to grow more like Jesus, in our sickness and in our suffering. It's in these things that Jesus' power is on display. It's in these things that people around us see God's work in us, not just how good we are. It's in our weaknesses that show that it's all about Jesus, not about us. That's why Paul's happy to boast about his weaknesses. It's there that he experiences Jesus' grace and power most clearly. And it's there that these things are on display to everyone around him. And this changes the way Paul sees everything. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what Paul has been on about through this whole book of 2 Corinthians. It's what we've been coming back to again and again. Paul wants us to see that as God's people, we can be finding joy in weakness and finding strength in God. And it's all because of this. Now, there are two big reasons that you might need to hear this this morning. Maybe you need reminding this morning that it is not about you. Maybe, you're the, the, maybe you need reminding that you are actually weak. Maybe you're someone who tends to boast, to be proud. Maybe you're convinced deep down that God is really lucky to have you. And if that's you, let this passage take you down a notch or two. If you're boasting in your strengths, in how good a Christian you are, then you have missed the point. It is not about you. You are weak. You are broken like a clay jar. But that's how it's meant to be. Because it's in your, it's in your weaknesses that God's power is shown in you. But maybe that's not you. 
Maybe you don't need reminding of your weaknesses because that's all you can think about. Maybe you're not sure God could ever use you. You're too weak. You struggle too much with temptation. Your mind isn't up to it. You don't know as much as other people. You're struggling with sickness. You have anxiety or depression. You're you're limited. These verses are good news for you and for me. Because our weaknesses aren't problems for God. They don't slow him down. In fact, it's our weaknesses that we experience God's grace and power at work in us. It's in our weaknesses that God's glory is shown most clearly to those around us. It's his, in his grace and power, God will supply all that we need to serve him in our weaknesses. It is there that his power is made perfect. So I want to say to you, don't look to your successes to see whether God can use you or not. Don't judge how good a follower of Jesus you are by looking at your strengths. Simply speak the truth of the gospel. Love others. Be willing to suffer as you serve them and live for Jesus. God will give you grace in your weaknesses and he will work through them to show his power. Even though Paul's weak, and at one point in that chapter there he says, even though I'm nothing, he's far from inferior to these other teachers. In fact, his weaknesses show God's grace and power perfectly. You and I would never put in a resume with all our failures on it. But what if we did boast to each other about our weaknesses? What if we shared with each other all the ways that God has worked his grace and power in our weaknesses and in our suffering for his glory? That's weakness that's worth boasting about. Hear again Jesus' words to you and I this morning. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as people who are weak. Whether we recognise it or not, we are desperately weak, Lord. Alone we cannot do anything to serve you. Alone we cannot save ourselves or make ourselves right with you. We depend on you for all things. And yet thank you that your grace is sufficient for us and your power is made perfect in our weakness. Forgive us for times when we've been enamoured by our own strength. Forgive us for times when we've thought that our weaknesses would mean that you cannot use us. Instead, this week, Lord, encourage us and strengthen us to live for you. And may we each see how your grace is provided to us and your power is made perfect in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.